Copy, Hog Zero One. Night Owl, Hog Zero One. Friendly's in sight, target in sight, in from the south. In from the south, you are cleared on, cleared on. Wolf Hog Element, good guns, good guns. Welcome to the Pathway to Wings podcast, a podcast for aspiring Air Force aviators, hosted by current and former Air Force aviators. My name is Major John Waters. I'm a former F-16 pilot and currently work for the recruiting service as an Air Force reservist. Today's guest is Major Kate Hewitt. She's a MC-130J pilot. She served as a navigator. She has quite a unique journey throughout the Air Force and her career to get to where she is today. I think you're gonna enjoy her story. So with that being said, wherever you're listening, please hit like, and subscribe. But let's get into the podcast with Major Kate Hewitt. I have Major Kate Hewitt join me on the podcast today. Thanks for joining me. MC-130J pilot. You have a very interesting career. With that, uh, would you mind just giving us a quick 30-second elevator pitch of who you are and what you're doing today, and then we'll dive into your Air Force career. Absolutely. My name is Major Kate Hewlett. I am an MC-130J pilot, as you mentioned. Um, I've been in the Air Force about 10 years now, though uh, involved in the Air Force with uh, Air Force ROTC and being a prior enlisted spouse um, for probably almost 19 years now or so. Um, I started out in Air Force ROTC, met my husband in ROTC, he enlisted, and then uh, we came back, finished college, and then went through OTS. I was originally an MC-130P navigator, and then when we retired her, I switched over and went through pilot training to be an MC-130J. That's so cool. You've touched so many different aspects from like, <laughs> you know, the sessions, becoming an officer in the Air Force, to doing two different rated jobs, from being a navigator to going to the pilot side. So we'll definitely talk about all that in the podcast. I'm looking forward to it. But I'd like to back up to where it all began. What was kind of the hook that got you into aviation and wanted to pursue a path into the Air Force? Um, absolutely. My dad is, uh, the one who kind of got me hooked on everything. Um, he took me to every single solitary air show that we could possibly go to as kids. Um, he served in the army in Vietnam. He was in the first cab. And so he was kind of always the example for me of what I wanted to do with my life. Very early on, I realized that I wanted to serve in the military. Um, and then aviation very quickly became the only path for me. Uh, we went to tons of air shows. My absolute favorite was the Spirit of St. Louis Air Show in St. Louis, Missouri, which is my hometown. Um, and so, you know, we, we would watch all the acts like the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds and Patty Wagstaff. And I just sat there and dreamed of being one of those and said, I absolutely have to do this with my life. Um, and then one year we had been at the air show and my dad had seen a tent about flying lessons. And then that year for Christmas, um, they didn't quite know what to get us kids, and so they got us all flights for Christmas, and I got a flying lesson. And so I took my very first flying lesson when I was in the seventh grade. I got off that first flight, and I walked up to him, and I said, I'll have you know we'll be doing this again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was all downhill from there. And so I was very, very, very lucky that I had um, a father and parents who really supported my dreams. Uh, they never limited anything that I wanted to do. Um, in terms of my career path, and we're very, very, very supportive. My dad loved to live vicariously through me. So um, every time he would ever say he was proud 
of me, I'd always uh, make sure to remind him that it's all <laughs> That's awesome. What uh, was the next step? I mean, obviously you got the aviation hook with that first flight. Did you know you want to go do ROTC? Like, what was next? Um, I did. Actually, my dad had a coworker who had gone through the Air Force Academy. So they had me over for dinner one night to kind of talk to me about it. Because originally I felt that uh, the Academy was going to be the best path for me. And it just so happened when I went to dinner at their house, their son was actually visiting from out of town and he was at college and he was going through Air Force ROTC. And I had never even heard of that program at that time. And so I think his dad was a little unhappy with his son because his son ended up telling me all about ROTC. And I thought, you know, I love the idea that I can go to college. Um, I can do the military. I can still become a flyer. And so uh, after that meeting, you know, I really knew that I wanted to pursue Air Force ROTC. And then when I went to college, immediately signed up for it um, and started down that path. And then, of course, you know, I made plans and God laughs and uh, my path became very curvy to get to where I wanted to be. But um, started out in Air Force ROTC. My that's, that's so cool. And I know people who are listening to this probably aware. But again, three commissioning sources, become an officer, the Air Force Academy. ROTC and then OTS. And we have different episodes talk about each of those. I was ROTC as well, personally fond, but there's a different fit for, I think, different people. It just depends on what you want. Absolutely. And then, so I met my husband in Air Force ROTC um, and he ended up deciding to enlist, um, which is probably a whole other <laughs> podcast, but um, getting to see the Air Force from pretty much every side, except for having been to the Academy. But um, I, you know, we were married when he was enlisted. So I got to see what it was like being an enlisted spouse. Um, I got to go through um, halfway through the Air Force ROTC program. Um, and then I got to see what the process was to pursue officer training school and uh, what that process entailed and how complicated and, and extended that was, but then ultimately extremely rewarding because I absolutely adored um, officer training school, which I don't, I don't think they want you to love it as much as I did, but I really, really, really loved my experience um, and learned an incredible amount at OTS. Well, you know, it's just everything like pilot training, for instance, I don't know what your experience was going through it, but I really enjoyed pilot training, but it is drinking from the fire hose. And you know, everyone says it's like the worst year, worst, best year of your life. But I guess everyone is just a little bit different. What was the path from like, what was the leap from going from leaving ROTC, you know, following your husband and, you know, as an enlisted spouse to then becoming, you know, then being interested again in pursuing OTS or was there, was that always something or did the fire light back up? What, what was the, the connection there? Uh, for me, I was never not going to be in the Air Force. Um, this was just kind of a detour um, and we were just trying to rethink how we were going to get to our ultimate goals. Um, so, you know, I, I thought I knew how my path was going to go uh, in my head. It was very straight and narrow. Um, but obviously, you know, life happens and, and uh, God has other plans for you sometimes. And so um, when we moved to, uh, we were stationed at Little Rock Air Force Base and my husband was um, in CE and we made some of the best friends I had ever made there. Um, we got a goddaughter out of that assignment, um, high <laughs> test, and uh, just, it, it turned into such a, an incredible experience um, that I was hyper resistant to when it happened. Um, when when we moved and I left college, it, it felt like it was the end of the road. It felt like, you know, we had failed. We, you know, I hadn't followed the path that I thought I was going to. 
Um, and it seemed very daunting to get back to where I wanted to be. Um, so the first year in Little Rock, I genuinely made myself miserable because I did not want to be away from my family. I didn't want to be out of college. I didn't want to not be doing ROTC and pursuing my passions. Um, and so it was extremely challenging. And then after that first year, um, I really just embraced it. And it, it was perfect because it was the very first lesson um, of your assignment is what you make of it. Um, and there are so many amazing things about Little Rock Air Force Base and our assignment there and uh, my husband's time being enlisted that I would never go back and change. I'm so grateful that we had. Um, and so it really just taught me that um, there's amazing things out of every assignment that you can possibly get. Um, but when his two years was up being enlisted, uh, we came back to the University of Missouri, which is where um, we were attending college and looked back into pursuing ROTC, but they had actually changed how they were gonna give out the commissioning um, allotments. So you now had to get that in your sophomore year. And so we were gonna have to go back and redo, my husband was gonna have to redo his sophomore, junior and senior year. I was gonna have to redo my sophomore year. Um, it was gonna delay our graduation. So we thought, no, you know what, maybe this isn't the right path. Um, We'll, we'll pursue OTS. And then little did we know how long and complex the process is to apply for officer training school. Um, but it, it ended up landing us exactly where we were supposed to. But um, even once we graduated college, it was a very long process to go through the application. Um, and my husband was actually picked up a year before I was. And so um, again, really thought I knew how things were going to go even when we got back to college and uh, thought I was getting back on track and uh, life had other plans. I think your well. story though, it, that can echo. I mean, it echoes with my career in the air force. Like I didn't, I wasn't really excited about going to Columbus, Mississippi, but it was by far like one of the, one of the best assignments I had. And it, it's it all, it's what you make of it, the people, but I would like say, what did you do to kind of like, was it just a switch that you flipped or did you say, Hey, I have to like, stop being negative about this. Like that first year in little rock where you said it was more or less miserable. Was there anything or any advice you'd give to someone who's probably going through something similar to. Yeah, I, I think I honestly, it was a bit of growing up um, because at the time I was 20, 21, um, leaving my home state for the first time. And it, it was, very much an identity shock as well because I was newly married and now I was kind of lumped into this role that I never saw myself being. Um, and it was a very strange kind of mindset of your, his wife, you know, it wasn't any longer. I had my own identity. I was Kate. Um, it was, I was, my whole identity was kind of tied to um, my husband. And so that was very, very, very challenging for me to kind of deal with. Um, but eventually, you know, after a year of making myself unhappy, uh, there were amazing friends that we had there that my husband worked with and um, just really kind of embraced the fact that there were phenomenal enlisted people that we were working with um, and that we knew that we wanted to get back to being officers so that we could lead and take care of these amazing enlisted people that we were so blessed to get to work with. So a lot of it was maturing. A lot of it was kind of grappling with my own identity of who I was and what I wanted um, and how I wanted others to perceive me. And then just having amazing coworkers, friends, uh, enlisted coworkers that really just built us up um, and encouraged us. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Definitely. I think people can relate to that. I would, I get people that ask me, they're, they're 
starting college or they're like a sophomore in college and they want to join the Air Force and they want to go to OTS. My advice is always do ROTC if you're already in college because it's so much easier. You've lived both. Would you say anything different or what, like, what was so difficult about that OTS process? Um, I, I would say the ROTC process is certainly easier, um, especially with OTS. You never quite know when they're going to cancel a board or when they're only going to do a rated board. Um, so you're kind of rolling the dice there. And we got very enlisted or very lucky with the, the time that we ended up um, applying that they, you know, we were both pursuing rated jobs um, and they were interested in people. So my, my husband had no prior flying experience whatsoever. And at the time they were accepting people who had no civilian flight time. Uh, some boards, they just don't like you have to have your PPL kind of thing or private pilot's license. Um, so applying for OTS is a gamble with timing because you never know what the needs of the Air Force are going to be. Um, so ROTC is absolutely an easier path as far as making sure that you're um, kind of on track to receive a commission and get picked up. Um, that said, I honestly wouldn't go back and change it. I adored my time in ROTC and absolutely loved it. And it really helped make my college experience for those first two years. Um, but at the same time, OTS was absolutely perfect for um, me as a development, as an officer, uh, specifically my flight commander, um, now Lieutenant Colonel Michael Manning, um, was the exact version of the officer that I wanted to be. He was everything that I wanted to be um, as an officer. And so to have that model um, from the very beginning of my career um, was extremely important. And I learned so much there that kind of in that condensed timeline, I think made it just seep deeper into my bones, um, that it was so ingrained because that's all you focused on for at the time, what was 13 weeks. Um, and now I think it's nine, nine and a half, 10 weeks um, at OTS, but that concentrated officership, airmanship time, I think really just made me bleed Air Force Blue that much more. So, you know, I, I think it's really just whatever path works for you to get into the Air Force, um, whether it be enlist and then commission through OTS, um, go guard, go reserves, do academy, do ROTC. Um, just don't stop pursuing a path. If this is your passion, if this is what you want to do with your life, or if this is you just want to do four years um, and get out. Um, you know, I've had so many road obstacles. I've had so many people say no. I've had so many people say I can't do it. Um, and I just didn't really let that stop me. Um, I, I knew where I was going to be. Um, clearly the path to get there was different than what I thought it was going to be, but those changes in my path have been the most incredible blessings of my entire career that I would never change in a million years. That was perfect. Embracing it for sure. That definitely makes the journey a little bit more palatable and you never know what it's going to bring. So Absolutely. going into OTS, you had a rated slot and that was to be a navigator, correct? Yes. So following the commissioning, you're off to navigator training. Can you tell me a little bit about what that was like and then what your first duty assignment was like? Certainly. So um, it, the path was actually really funny to uh, get there. Um, so as I mentioned, my husband was picked up a year before I was. Um, and devastation is not a strong enough word <laughs> to encompass how I felt. <laughs> Um, when we got the call that he was picked up and I was a non-select, um, because it's all I had ever wanted to do with my life. And 
for the first time, it genuinely felt like the Air Force was saying they didn't want me and like this might not happen. Um, so it was really challenging, really challenging to watch my husband go through OTS and know that I wanted to be there and to be doing that. Um, so it, it was definitely salt in an open wound. And then, you know, really funny. I don't know why, but um, the whole week that I was down in Maxwell for my husband's um, commissioning and graduation, my recruiter had been calling my husband. I don't know why he was calling him instead of me, but he kept calling my husband. And then the day before my husband's commissioning, uh, they did, they used to do dining out. Um, and I had just gotten my hair done. I was going into the hotel to put on my dress and my recruiter finally called me and I said, look, unless it's good news, I do not need to hear that OTS doesn't want me while I'm here at OTS for my husband's graduation. Um, and my recruiter said, well, uh, what would you consider good news? Um, cause I had applied for a pilot and then a uh, navigator second. And I was like, uh, that I was selected. And he said, well, congratulations. You're going to be a combat systems officer to which I had to say, what is that? <laughs> um, cause that was right at the time that they were transitioning from uh, navigator school to uh, combat systems officer school. And he's like, well, you're going to be an officer in the air force and you're going to be a navigator. And at that moment, I realized that my dreams were going to come true, that I was going to get to be an aviator, that I was going to get to be an officer. And I, I was in the hallway and I was crying so hard <laughs> that my family down the hall heard me and they thought someone had died. Uh, you know, they, I ran upstairs and told my in-laws and as I was leaving, I heard my father-in-law say, you know, what did she say? Cause I just was, you know, so overcome with emotion. So, um, it, I, you know, I say this to all those that, you know, maybe you're picked up for navigator that are just um, a little disappointed because they were hoping for a pilot slot. Um, because I think the way everything happened for me, the fact that I was in ROTC, left um, to be an enlisted spouse, came back, ended up getting um, picked up for OTS and a non-select the first time. When I was picked up, I felt nothing but gratitude for the fact that I was going to be an officer in the Air Force. And that's all that mattered to me. Um, and I think if it, it had been different, if I had gotten um, navigator the first time I, uh, I had applied or even pilot, I don't think I would have had that sense of gratitude and understanding that that was actually where I was supposed to be. So, um, you know, God's got a way of making things work out. And it made me so grateful that I got a navigator slot. Um, and, and it turned out to be the absolute right career for me at the time. Um, I, I am very good at support. I'm very good at taking care of people. I'm very good at telling people where to go. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it was fantastic. Um, I absolutely loved navigator school. Um, it was fantastic cause I got there right when they were starting up Pensacola. Um, I was class 1705. Um, we had such a great group of people that we are all very close friends still, um, and it, it was just the best experience. And then, you know, again, funny the way God plans things. Uh, my husband was going through pilot training at the same time I was going through navigator school. So I was finishing up the T6. So the very first part, initial part of navigator school when my husband got his drop list. And so we were kind of going through it and like, you know, what do we want to do? What do we want to do? Um, and we had talked about um, C-130s, we had talked about fighters, um, but we ended up 
kind of deciding that AFSAC was the way to go. You know, at the time, we didn't even know what an MC-130P was. Not many people um, did. And so we, we put all of AFSAC at the top of the list. And then when we got his drop um, and he got the MC-130P, I started looking at all the mission sets of the MC-130P. And it was everything I had been loving in Navigator School. Um, it was the low level is my absolute favorite thing in the world to do. It was self-protect. It was airdrop. Um, it, it was just everything I loved. So again, funny how life, uh, leads you to where you're meant to be. Um, and I love my time in the MC-130P, the combat shadow, and, um, you know, was lucky enough to be the very last mission navigator of the MC-130P. I got to take the very last one to the boneyard. Um, so it, it was just the perfect experience as a navigator. Um, and then kind of signaled that it was my time to try and uh, apply and shift to, to pilot training. But again, absolutely loved being a navigator and I would never go back and change it for the world. And I probably could do the math here, but you said you had your first flight lesson in seventh grade, right? And that was kind of the hook. Yep. So how old were you then? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. 12, 13. And then yeah. how old were you when you found out that you're going to go to OTS? Uh, I, I want to say I was 26 or 27. Uh, and I think like, time. that's like a painting that picture, like that journey, like that path. I mean, it's over a decade, right. Of like pursuing Absolutely. like your goal. And that's honestly, I think like some people do just get lucky and they land right place, right time. And they find something they love and it just like all works out seamlessly. But I do think it usually takes a lot more work than that. And it's usually a longer path than that. So your journey is a perfect example in my mind of really what it takes to pursue a profession uh, like being an Air Force officer. Yeah, I mean, it, it's when I got my pilot wings, um, I want to say I was, what, 32, 30, yeah, about 32, 33 uh, when I got my pilot wings. So, you know, you take 13 to 33, you know, solid 20 years of um, pursuit of what I knew my dream to be. Um, and in fact, uh, my pilot training class, one of their favorite games to play was how old were they when my husband and I got married and the very upsetting answer for most of them was like second grade. So, oh, well, uh, being a solid decade older than most of the people in my class was, was pretty funny, but, um, they're a great group of, of people and I still love them to death. So, you know, it's, I, I, I hope that like my very bizarre story and path is just a testament to um, how, you know, you don't give up. If, if it's something that you want to do, um, obviously there's a point where there's, you know, a cutoff and there's a final no, but until you get to that, um, just don't accept no um, as an answer to stop you from pursuing your dreams. Um, it, it certainly didn't happen when or how I thought it was going to happen, but I am literally living my wildest dream. Um, I know I mentioned earlier, that my dad took me to the St. Louis air show growing up. Um, and then last year I actually got to fly in the St. Louis air show as a pilot. And so it was a literal dream come true to get to go and fly in my hometown air show. That is what started me on my path and the airport where I took my very first flying lesson. That's so cool. That's full circle right there. Every now Absolutely. and then it works out. Um, <laughs> it does, it, it does, but you've got to, you've got to work yeah. for it. You know, it, it did not, it certainly did not come easily. Um, it certainly worked out the way it was meant to be. Um, it just took a lot of work and effort and dedication. No joke. And now I'm like, 
doing that again, math, right. You're probably one of the first ones that went through with the new age restriction at pilot training, right? Um, I, I think I was before that time, but I did have to apply for did an you? age okay. waiver. Um, yes. And so the year that I applied, um, for my command, um, AFSOC or, uh, Air Force Special Operations Command, they were, uh, very supportive of age waivers. Um, I had a couple of folks that I actually went through, um, navigator school with that were not granted an age waiver, um, cause their command just wasn't supportive of it. So I was lucky that it, it, it was kind of a non-issue for me. I still had to do the paperwork and get the approval um, to be able to do it. But um, again, it, it's, it's kind of a gamble, but, you know, it worked out in my favor. I think that's another point too is, you know, there are some things that are like an absolute no. Like if your heart's bad, like it's probably, you're probably not going to be flying plane. Um, right. But usually there is like a waiver or there's a process and it kind of goes back to what you're saying, like the persistence. It, like there is a path out there if you really want it. It just might not be easy. And prime example, 20 years in the making from like the first hook of aviation to, to flying in the Air Force. So pretty cool, I think. Hey, real Absolutely. quick, let's talk about the transition to pilot training. So you got picked up, which is pretty cool. What was like going through pilot training? So um, I applied well on active duty as a rated officer. Um, so there is a process to be able to transition over. Um, it, it was less extensive than applying to officer training school, uh, but still still a detailed process. Um, and I got the call that I had been picked up while um, I was still a navigator in the MC-130P and um, just absolutely thrilled. And the timing worked out perfectly because I was leaving for pilot training um, just a couple months after we retired the combat shadow. So uh, in the fall, I ended up going to Columbus Air Force Base to do my pilot training there. Um, I was very lucky in that I got to be the um, SRO or the senior ranking officer for my class. It was myself and um, another captain who was a army captain prior previously and then transitioned over to reserves. And so he and I both um, got to lead the class, which was a huge blessing. Um, we, we ended up having a lot of kind of trials and tribulations that most pilot training classes don't really have to face and overcome. Um, but it was nice because they really gave uh, me and my um, assistant SRO the latitude to be officers and to take care of our folks, which was really great and really helpful. Um, and my class was absolutely phenomenal, um, class 1702 at Columbus Air Force Base just wonderful, amazing people that I'm still very good friends with. And then very, very, very good friends with a lot of my fellow senior ranking officers um, that are some of my absolute best friends I've ever had now. And so it, it was, you know, when they say it's, it's the worst year of your life, um, that's absolutely true, but it's also <laughs> the best year. Um, we had a lot, we had a lot of um, things that we had to go through and overcome. And um, so it, it was really, really difficult from that aspect. But we also had, um, we came together really tightly as a class because of the, some of the trials that we had to go through. And so um, it, it was such a formidable year creating who I am as a person. And even as an officer, it taught me a lot about how I lead and take care of people. Um, so it, it was definitely quite the journey. Um, and for any navigator that's thinking about going through pilot training, um, I, I kind of liken it to what I assume childbirth must be like, that you forget how horrible it was to do it again. Because <laughs> uh, going through pilot training, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. That was really not fun to go through. Or past. 
so yeah, it, it, it you know that uh, that lapse of memory worked out in my favor um, to be able to get through pilot training uh, and with a fantastic class that I absolutely love. And then very lucky that an MC-130J happened to be on my drop list um, because my husband had transitioned straight from the Combat Shadow into the MC-130J. And so obviously being mill to mill, um, we wanted to be in the same airframe because that um, makes life a lot easier. And so um, luckily enough, I, I worked really hard and was high, ranked high enough in the class that I got my number one choice and got MC-130Js uh, to Cannon Air Force Base, New Mexico. And uh, went through all of the training that's encompassed with that. Um, and so now I get to operate um, the most modern MC-130J aircraft that we have in the fleet with Air Force Special Operations. Yeah, so AFSOC Air Force Special Operations Command, as you just mentioned. Can you give me just a little snapshot of what a day in the life looks like for an MC-130J pilot? Absolutely. Um, the amazing thing about the MC-130 is... The M in MC-130 stands for multi-role. And so we get to do such a wide range of missions that a day in the life could look different from any given day. Um, we do aerial refueling, so we can refuel helicopters, CV-22 tilt rotor aircraft. We can refuel fighter planes. Um, we can do what's called FARP or forward aerial refueling point. Basically, we set up kind of a gas station on the ground um, we can do airdrop of equipment or people or, um, we'll say munitions. Um, and I'll let you Google that. Uh, and then, um, you know, we can also do what's called hey-ho or halo, high altitude, high opening, high altitude, low opening. Um, so we drop the operators really, really, really high up in the air and let them, um, kind of direct themselves to their operation where they're supposed to go. We do infiltration, exfiltration. Um, so we come in and land at a dirt blacked out runway, um, drop off the folks to go do their mission, and then we can pick them back up. Um, really short, um, unimproved landing services. Um, we can tank off of a KC-135 or a KC-10 and now the KC-46. Um, so we, we can do search and rescue. It, it's such a wide variety of missions um, that... It, any given day, it's something different, whether you're doing low level through the mountain on NVGs in the middle of the night, or you're doing, you know, a day high level um, packs drop off. Um, it's, it's something new every single day. And that's what I absolutely love about this mission. Um, and that's what I love about Air Force Special Operations Command is the mission that we get to do and the people that we get to support, um, especially our ground troops that are the ones really out there on the front lines that we get to be a part of taking care of them. We'll do CASVACs. Um, you know, it's, it's such a blessing to get to work with those most elite operators um, of our U.S. military that I can't even imagine doing another mission because it's so wildly fulfilling and so interesting because it's, it's something different every single day. I uh, love it. Well, as we wrap up the podcast, I always like to ask people if they found 15-year-old Kate, such yourself, on the street, what would you say to her? What advice would you give her as she marches through life? Um, as we kind of wrap up here, you know, I always ask people, you know, if you found 15, 16 year old Kate on the street and bumped into her, is there any kind of advice you would tell her? Maybe something to change, to do better, to just, I don't know, enjoy. Uh, what, what would that be if you bumped into 15, 15 year old you? 
Um, I, I think that my advice um, to me and to anyone um, who is in pursuit of a dream is keep your eyes on the destination. Um, keep true to what you know you want. Don't let anyone tell you no, um, but enjoy the journey. Um, I, I spent a lot of time stressing out and a ton of tears and a ton of heartbreak um, because there's a lot of times where it felt like it was the end of the road um, and this wasn't going to happen for me. But um, I, I think if I could have just enjoyed the journey, um, looking back, I can now see how much I loved everything that made me get to where I am now. Um, but going through it was was certainly a trial and disheartening um, and, and demoralizing. And it, and it would be easy enough for something along those lines to kind of derail you so that you don't continue to pursue um, your passion. So I would say to me or anyone, um, you know, keep your eyes on your destination, know what you want out of life, follow your dreams, but enjoy where the journey takes you to get there. Awesome. Well, Major Kate Hewitt, thanks for joining me on the podcast. I know people are really going to enjoy hearing your story and path through the Air Force. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I appreciate that you are doing this. Um, I just want to encourage everyone out there thinking about a career in the Air Force to reach out to a recruiter, do some research online, um, reach out to anyone that you may know that's in the Air Force. Um, it, it is better than my wildest dreams even imagined. Um, I've gotten to go to countries I never even thought I would. I've gotten to be on operations that are just a blessing to be able to support some of our most elite operators in the country. Um, I made lifelong friends. I, I mean, I still cannot believe that I am not only living my dream, but that someone is paying me to do it. So um, if you are at even the slightest bit interested, um, make sure you reach out and uh, and look into it and don't let anyone stop you from pursuing your dream. No, I think it's spot on. And it it's like the perfect way to wrap up the podcast because it is truly an amazing journey, especially if you make it, make it that. And all the possibilities are there. Absolutely. So. Kate, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathway to Wings podcast. We have lots more in store. We'll be back in two weeks. Wherever you're listening, please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss the next episode and leave us a rating review over on iTunes. That will help us out.